No matter who you are or where you're from, we have a place for you. To the hurting and the hopeless, to those with questions and doubts, to those looking for a place to belong and grow, we have a place for you. Our mission at the table is to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, and we recognize that we are called to be courageous. We courageously talk about hard things as we are challenged to live for Christ in a complicated world. We courageously build bridges as we love and serve our neighbors well. We courageously challenge one another to follow Jesus and we share the hope that we have with those around us. We invite you to have a seat at the table. Come find hope and healing. Come find answers and purpose. Come find a place to belong. Come be courageous. Pray with me this morning, Lord. What a reminder that is that you are good. Lord, and sometimes I have to remind myself, even if, even if things aren't going the way that I want them to, even if things are hard, even if I don't understand, I don't have an answer, you are still good. That is who you are. It is impossible for you to be anything but good, Lord. And help me be mindful of that when I cannot see the way forward when I don't understand and in my doubt. Lord, help me be mindful of your goodness and your goodness towards us. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. You guys can have a seat. Um, I get to welcome you this morning. My name is Melissa Forgey. I serve here as the executive pastor. I'm excited to be with you. If you are a guest with us, maybe you've been, this is the first time that you are here, or maybe you've been here just a few times, just thanks for coming. Um, I've met a lot of people in the last few weeks that have moved into the area and that are um, quote unquote church shopping. How awkward is that, right? So thanks for being awkward with us this morning, if this is your first time. Um, thanks for coming to a new place and being brave. We know that that can be really nerve-wracking. We would really love to connect with you. If you want to text us, there's a number on the seat back in front of you, um, or catch one of us after the service. We would love to meet you, and just thank you for being here, and good luck with your shopping. So hopefully this is a one-stop shop. Huh. Dad joke. Okay, never mind. So anyways, we are continuing in our series called Coming Up for Air. And I'll be honest, I was not excited when Bill tossed me the next two weeks because he's going on vacation. He's going to be in the mountains and then he's going to the beach. So he's just living his best life to get a, a much needed break. Um, but sometimes when we are in God's word, it can just be super convicting. It can just make us uncomfortable. Um, and that's what this week has done for me. So you guys get to hear me rolling through my inner dialogue out loud, which is, which is always challenging. Um, we will be in Luke 2 today. So if you have your Bible, you, I'm sorry, Luke 12. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Or if you follow us on the Bible um, app, you can go to the live events. It's kind of a button in the corner of your app, and it will pull up events, find us, and you can follow along there. And so today, we're going to be talking about the fun thing we love to talk about in church, money. 
Now you know why Bill went on vacation, okay? So, I'm just joking. But uh, we are going to be talking a little bit about um, this parable regarding money, which I think is very interesting and also, um, you know, challenging for us. And so in this context of Luke 12, I want to kind of give you like an overview so you kind of know what's happening before um, we get to verses 13. So Jesus has been calling out religious leaders all throughout his ministry, but it has been really ramping up where we find Jesus in Luke 12. And he is um, calling out their hypocrisy, their power grabs, their their manipulation, their greed, all of these things that they are doing wrong and calling themselves religious leaders, the models of religion. Um, And the Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus doing something. They want to catch him doing something wrong. Okay, And so at the same time Jesus is calling out this hypocrisy, thousands of people are coming to be around Jesus. They're hearing about him. Maybe they're just curious. Maybe they've heard that he's a prophet. They've heard something about him. They've met someone who's met him. So thousands of people are in a mob around Jesus. And scripture tells us it's an angry mob. In a way, they're trampling, they're pushing, they're shoving, and that's where we find Jesus speaking directly to his disciples is in this mob. And he's telling them, calling out the hypocrisy that he sees in the Pharisees and telling them, be careful because it will be revealed one day. All will be revealed. And so he's having this moment of very bold teaching in a very dangerous situation. And I believe it's a stark reminder to his disciples of the cost that it will, they will pay to follow him. It was dangerous to follow Jesus at this time. And so that gets us to verse 13. And you guys, join me there. Uh, we're switching over translations here. And I got a new Bible, a new preaching Bible. And I got the large print. Oh my gosh, if you haven't done it yet, do it. It's worth it. 12 bucks off Amazon. It was worth it. I can see without my glasses. I'm very excited. Okay. So verse 13, someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Then he told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not an abundance of of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll do this. He said, I'll tear down my barns and build and big, bigger ones and store all my grain and goods in there. And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and these things you have prepared Whose will they be? This is how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And I'll be honest, the the, the front end of this parable makes me laugh. Have you ever taught kids or have kids or, you know, had to interact with kids? You know, you're telling your kid a lesson and you're like, okay, this is important. It's a life lesson. Listen, and they're looking at you and they're in and then they're like, can I have a snack? And you're just like, have you heard anything I just said? And like Jesus is talking Right? He's, he's talking about hypocrisy and to be on guard. And what does this guy say? He goes, uh, excuse me, um, can you do something for me real quick? Like in the middle, in total disregard of what 
Jesus is doing. But somehow in this mob, he got Jesus' attention. And, you know, rabbis in Jesus' day would act like judges in these disputes, these estate disputes or inheritance or something like that. Okay, so he knew Jesus was a teacher. He didn't recognize he was the teacher, but he had this like, hey, I need, I need you. I don't really care what you're saying, just focus in here. And Jesus did. And we can kind of infer that this man had his brother with him. And this man was probably the little brother because we know that the Jew, uh, Jewish sons, the oldest son would most likely inherit um, the estate or receive most of the inheritances. Okay, so he was probably the little brother um, calling out um, to Jesus because he wanted a slice of the pie and he wanted, you know, Jesus to make this decision and kind of give him some credibility so he could get some of the inheritance. And he did this with like total disregard for what was happening around him or anybody else that was listening. I mean, he was there for his own interests. And Jesus could have exercised his authority as a judge, but he didn't. Um, instead, he used this as a teaching moment, which I thought was, was really, really cool. In verse 15, we say, he then, he told them, watch out and be at guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And maybe Jesus was still talking loudly to, um, over the crowd noise to his disciples, and maybe he was talking to the entire crowd. I just see Jesus saying this and just looking at those brothers, like, I see you. And he's saying, watch out against all types of greed. Seizing this moment, he goes into the parable of the rich farmer. Okay, and I just, I love how Jesus tells stories and he does this so that they stick. But um, he's just, I can see this farmer, like I do this when I'm like trying to figure out a problem. He's like walking around his farm, he's like, okay, barn's not big enough. Okay, tear that barn down, bigger barn there, bigger barn there, put all my stuff Rocking chair over there for the end of my life. Bam, let's do it, right? Like he has got the plan going in his brain. And God just decides to uh, burst his bubble, right? He says, uh, no, your life is going to be demanded of you right now. And all the things that you have stored up, who is going to have them now that you're gone? So I'm sure that this was shocking for people in the crowd to hear this story. I mean, it's kind of shocking, shocking for me because... Jesus, God is calling this man a fool. You know, saving is good. You know, we, we talk about retirement and saving and being good stewards of our money. And, and so we look at this guy and he's been saving what he's been getting and, and producing. So like, how is he a fool? If he's a fool, what am I, right? Like, I mean, he's doing the things that we're supposed to do. And I think that, you know, we can look at this and almost read it as like, is he telling him not to save? Is that what we're reading here? And I think we have to kind of stay in it for a second and not read it as a fortune. Well, he says not to save. Let's just, uh, you know, live our best lives or whatever. I don't think that's what he's saying here, okay? And so when we're digging into this, um, we want to look for what this is telling us about God. When we read scripture, we do a great Bible study here and with the ladies, and the, one of the things we take away is, what is this telling me about God? this scripture, because we can get so into the minor details and the minutia of it, which is not bad, but we miss God as we are trying to get smarter or sound smarter. We miss God in it. And so we're going to try to figure out what this is saying about God's character, and that's what he's doing here. And Jesus is dealing in principles, not particulars. He's not going to get into the particular of this guy's situation. 
He's not going to get into a, an estate dispute. Okay? He is in the business of transformation. And that's how we go to scripture. We go to it as this is going to transform my soul, my life, my behaviors, my interactions. It's not just to make me smarter. It's to transform me and make me look more like Jesus as I walk through the world. That's the business that Jesus is in, and that's how he wants us to approach his word. And Jesus here, the principle that he's focusing on, the major that he's focusing on, is the underlying condition of this man's heart, which is wrecked by greed. And he did it in a way that was always different. It was always a story, okay? He always had a way to make the principles stick. And the place that I want us to land today and really dive in and, and marinate on is in verse 21. After God calls him a fool... <laughs> He says, how, this, that's how it is with one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And I always ask questions of scripture when I'm reading it, and it asks me a question right here. How am I supposed to be rich towards God? How do I answer that question? And I think the answer is, I treasure what God treasures. My relationship with him my relationship with other people, my, my care, my empathy, my priority of people who are, who are lost and suffering and marginalized and vulnerable, I treasure the things that God treasures. And so as we are looking at this question, this warning here, how do we become rich towards God? And we hear the story of the rich farmer, right? Or the rich fool. And some of us go, well, I don't know. I'm not rich. So do I have to listen to this? Right? Yes, you have to listen to it. Sorry. But it's, remember, we're not dealing in the particulars. We're dealing with the underlying condition of our hearts. And so it doesn't matter how many zeros or, or lack thereof or whatever is in our bank account. It's the underlying condition of our hearts. That's what he's looking at. Our attitude towards generosity are, he's addressing it, and I think, you know, it's, again, he's not, I don't think we get to opt out because we're not rich, but guys, we live in America, and I'm sorry, even if we don't have all the things, just living in America puts us in the top percentage of wealth in the entire world. Just living here, we're in a building, a beautiful building with air conditioning, kind of, it's kind of hot, but you know, it's air conditioning when it's 100 degrees outside. We live in wealth and abundance, so we don't get to opt out here. But he does, in Scripture, clearly warn us of the plagues of wealth and the plagues of materialism. He does stand, you know, give clear warnings about people who are amassing wealth and the underlying condition of their hearts. So, so what does this actually mean for us to be rich towards God? So it's to treasure the things that he treasures, my relationship with him, my relationship with other, my, my compassion, my empathy, my service towards those who are broken and marginalized and vulnerable. And so we're going to adopt the principle that Jesus adopted. We're going to major over the minors today. And we're going to look at the foolish elements of this rich man's life and behaviors, and we're going to Figure out what God is calling us to. And I think the first way that we become rich toward God is we prioritize purpose over preservation. We live with the end in mind. Now, this rich fool is living with the end in mind. 
I mean, he's living within it, right? He was like, you know, I'm going to, you know, take it easy. Drink, eat, have a good time, right? That's what he's living for. And again, there's nothing against savings. This is not a financial discussion. There are people in this room that love to have that. I'm sure the book millers would talk all day about Dave Ramsey. I'm not going to do that today. So that's not what I'm saying. It's the failure of the rich man to, of, who, of him to recognize who gave his wealth to him. Jesus did not allude to this man or say specifically that this man was intelligent, was a skilled farmer, was a hard worker. He did, however, in verse 16, say the land of this man produced plentifully. The farmer seemed to not recognize who was the giver or the source of his prosperity. He was to steward this, this gift, and he really gave little thought about the purpose of his abundance past, like, eat, drink, and be merry. He really didn't think any clear, more, you know, beyond that. So he made a point to say this, that the man did not produce, but the land. So creator God created this land, produced his harvest. The wealth and abundance this man had began to decrease his need. And don't you find as our needs decrease, life gets good, it's comfortable, our need for God begins to decrease. Anybody else? When life is good, I got this. Look at me getting this, right? And our need for God begins to decrease. Living in the recognition of God is the giver and the owner of my stuff, of my resources, of my wealth, of my money, begins to help me change my perspective. I'm not the owner. I am the steward. Focusing on these gifts that I've been given, tuning by heart to the things that God treasures, and caring about his purpose over my preservation of wealth. The, uh, being generous, like God is generous. He is generous with us, y'all. The fact that we have a way to experience freedom and heaven after this life is generous from our God. And so, yeah, I get to steward what he's given me, living with the end in mind that my end is heaven. My goal, to make it crowded. That's the purpose is to expand the kingdom, to use all that God has given me, entrusted to me, blessed me with, and use it to bring more people to the face of Jesus. And as God is generous with us through the work of Jesus on the cross, we have this obligation, but you guys, even better, we have an opportunity. We have a real opportunity to show people the love and generosity of God through our love and generosity. We have to see our wealth and our resources and our stuff, not just our money, but our skills, our, our relationship, our ability to love and have empathy as a provision to minister to others. It is to expand the kingdom. It never occurred to this rich farmer that in his abundance, he had this opportunity to, to help so many people. He could have given people food. He could have provided a place for someone else to work his land. He never looked at it as an opportunity or another purpose, just as his preservation. I, I have a sign that hangs in my, in my house, and when you walk in um, by our uh, garage, it says, when you have more than enough, build a longer table, not a higher fence. 
ooh, I like that. I don't know. I think, I think it was Lisa giving me the ooh. So, but like, but when that's a I, mindset is like our stuff should be used as a way to minister to others. If you ever want to read a good book, Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield is a wonderful book of how she prioritizes in her family's budget a way to be hospitable and generous with people. It's a priority in their life. See, preservation turns us inward. I hoard it and I put my arms around it. But purpose calls us out. And we become generous and mindful of the needs of others. Second point of how we can treasure what God treasures and how we can uh, you know, be generous and to be rich towards God is to prioritize contentment over striving. This is a hard one. Recognizing how we define life will determine how we live it. We see here in verse 15, he then told them, be on watch, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of possessions. I asked myself when I was studying this, will enough ever be enough? When is there enough? When will I be satisfied? We, we see this fool here, and he, his security is in his abundance, right? He's in all of this stuff. that he, he has so much that he has to go build more storage. Does that make sense? You see all the buildings popping up everywhere? Storage buildings everywhere, Right? His security is in his ability to accumulate. And look at his presumption, right? He was like, okay, I'm going to sell it up. I'm going to live the rest of my life. I'm going to hang up my work boots, and I'm going to just sit on my rocker, eat, drink, be merry, right? And what does God say? Fool. Someone else is going to enjoy your treasure because your life ends tonight. Planning for the future is not bad. But which future are we planning for? Eat, drink, and be merry? Maybe. But that really kind of makes his planning that we see here stop at his earthly existence. The plan that we have as people who who follow Christ is that my life does not cease to exist when I leave this place. That I will experience eternity in heaven. And to be mindful, but to know that, you know, we don't have to live, you know, our best lives every day, fulfilling every selfish desire, because it gets better. We can do the work that God's put in front of us to be, to be kind and generous and show the love of Christ to other people, guys, because honestly, that is what we are called to do as people who say they believe in Christ. And I know I say, I feel like I say this in every single message. I know Bill feels like he says it in every message. We are called to bring people with us. We are called to bring people with us and to make heaven crowded. And we define success by what we have, by all the things Brands of clothes, you know, our, our, where our houses look, where we live, what kind of car we drive. Like, those are all things that we have success. And I struggle with this. I did not, when I, I don't want to teach this message. I told my husband this. I don't want to, I, I quit today. I don't want to do this because I love my shoes. I love shoes. I love them. They call to my soul and I love them. And I don't know why. It's a problem. My husband, who never says anything, kind of said, are we like done with shoe shopping this summer or is this going to be like a thing? And I was like, 
rude, but it's a thing, right? And I, it's, it's the good life, right? It's, I want these things. I work so hard. I want these things. It's not struggling or worrying. It's just like, oh, I just want this stuff. But when will it be enough stuff? And we scroll. We scroll on social media. I was reading this thing. It's like you watch HGTV long enough, you start to hate your house. You scroll through social media, you start to not like yourself so much. You start to compare your husband to the Instagram husband or whatever it is, right? It's like our lives are just focused on comparison and striving and getting enough. And you know where this comes from? It comes from the very beginning in the garden. Satan got Adam and Eve to believe that the, the lie that God's promises were not enough. That's where it comes from. He wasn't enough. The way of God was not enough. And he began to get Adam and Eve to focus on the minor things. He's holding something back from you. You're missing out on all the fun, on all the good stuff. And that being obedient to God will not sustain you because you will miss out. Satan has convinced humans through all of history to turn from life to death. That's why we must be very careful to determine what life is and how it is attained because that determines how we live it. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He came to bring life and bring life abundantly. He is enough. We don't have to like, keep up with the Joneses. If we feel like we're the Joneses, maybe this is a time to stop and say, will it ever be enough? Will it ever be enough? Will I ever feel like it is enough and we can find contentment in Jesus who, who call, he, when he calls us to himself, we can turn away from our self-interest and we can begin to focus on eternal things and begin to focus on things that God treasures, my relationship with him, my relationship with others, my heart, my empathy, my compassion, my generosity to vulnerable, hurting, broken, lost people who are desperate to find something else in this life. Because I've never met a broken, hurting, lost soul who is just struggling in whatever they're struggling with. I remember sitting in front of my computer crying out to God. I didn't even know. I had zero church, didn't know how to accept Christ. I went home after one day we went into church and I Googled it. How to accept Christ. What does that even mean? I did not even know. And in that moment, I did not want any more shoes. I wanted to save my marriage. I wanted to fight my pain. I wanted to feel freedom from bondage. That's what people are walking through. That's what they're needing. That's when we show them contentment, when we show them that God is enough, that you don't have to keep showing off or showing out that doing the things of God, being generous and loving and being mindful of people, other people is enough and it is a full, fulfilling life. The third way to be rich towards God is to value people over possessions. And this kind of is like, well, duh, you've said this the whole time. But I really mean it, okay? Value people over possessions. Abundance of things and life abundant are not the same or interdependent. So, the, you know, when I, previous points, we can put striving, we can see striving and, and, and accumulation of wealth and money and like, you know, we're just, 
working to get as much money in the bank so I can retire as quickly as possible and I can check out a life and go live on a beach and all those things. Okay, that, that sounds kind of fun. I get it. Okay, but it becomes, the, becomes our God. It becomes all that we think about, all that we do, all that we care about. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, steal kill, and destroy. This sounds real country there. I'm going to get that from Cody. Kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. He comes so people can have life in him that is purposeful and joyful and eternal. Man, that sounds like a life that I want to live. Abundant means exceedingly, very highly, beyond measure, beyond comparison. People that you know that are hurting, they love to have a joyful, abundant life. How many rich people have we seen in our, in our society that have ended their own lives? We know that it's not always wealth that equates with joy. And, and this life that God gives us, he does not promise bank deposits. Trust me, I've asked. It doesn't work, okay? He doesn't promise, you know, direct deposit. It's not an investment. I give, I give to God, and then he's going to give back to me double on a good return. That's not what this life is. And we, and we kind of get messed up in that a little bit. I actually heard a soccer player that I really love actually say that out loud, and I was like, wow, some bad theology there. So, you know, it's, it's not this, this investment or this stock that we make to get something back. It is to set our minds on things eternal, to live out the call to make disciples. Every single one of us, if you profess to be a Christ follower, you have a call in your life to make disciples, to bring people to Christ. That's our call. That is the great commission of our lives. And how do we do that? Investing in people, making time for people, prioritizing our time, our money, our resources, our home, our schedules, all the things to make room for people. People we love who know, who know the Lord and people who are far from the Lord, who are hurting, who need to know the saving grace of Jesus. We make time for them. And people are trying to figure out what makes a good life. Alcohol sales through the roof over the last year. People are buying up things Constantly, housing prices are going through the roof and people are still just buying houses. It's crazy. People are searching for the good life and we have it. We have the goods. So peace of mind for the future and we find ways to feel successful and fulfilled and achieved and then something happens, right? We've done all the things. Got the house, got the car, got the job, got the kids, the 2.5 kids, the golden retriever, all the things, right? We get all the things. And then someone dies, or someone gets sick, or divorce happens. It kind of brings us to our knees. And to live in a way that is there for people in those moments, it's like we're earning a hearing for the gospel. I love you because God loves you. And that's how God works, is through people. I read a story of a hospital chaplain who sat in a room with thousands of dying people, and he said, never once did someone wish for more money. All they wished for was more time. Time for their, to right their regrets, right their wrongs, of saying something they wish they would have said. 
sharing our faith up close to people, investing our time and our resources, it matters. It matters. This rich fool had this whole mess of surpluses, abundance, this gift that could have impacted so many lives. So many lives. And so many times when we have abundance, we give out of that abundance. We kind of like tip generously, but it really costs us nothing. Jesus is calling us into costing us everything. Using our gifts, our money, our time, our resources, our homes, anything we have to open the door for people to come into our lives so they can see Jesus in us and through us. And I struggle with this (laughs) and not putting my security in the bank account or the retirement fund or whatever it is. A number of years ago, um, my husband Matt came home on a Friday. I just started staying home with the kids, left um, my career and Started staying home. He comes home. is really close to Christmas, and he was like, I got laid off. And if you know Matt, he's a man of few words, and he is, like, annoyingly calm, okay, all the time. And he was, like, super calm. And, of course, what? Like, I freaked out, you know? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's almost Christmas. We have kids. I started staying home, you know? And nothing's coming in. And he was in his way calm, and he was like, you know, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He's like, I know that God's going to take care of us. And I like totally rolled my eyes at him. I was like, okay, you know. And I just started working on my resume because I was like, I'm going back to work. That didn't last long. And during that very long time that he was laid off, I'll tell you, we never got a bank deposit from heaven in our bank account. I asked a lot. You know, but um, snacks ended up on my front porch for me and my kids. And gift cards ended up in our mailbox. And handshakes after church had cash in them. We love you guys. We're thinking about y'all. Side jobs popped up. Extra work came in. And God did never showed up in our bank account. But he showed up in our people. That were generous and good. And allowed God to work through them for us. He wants to work through us. He wants to work in us. We just have to know where to invest. It's in people. And we get so distracted by the minor things in life that we miss the majors. We miss treasuring the things that God treasures. Your relationship with him above all else so you can live extravagant, Just crazy generosity out in your lives. Reflecting the outrageous, generous gift that Jesus has given us. And as the band comes up to to close us out, I just, I want to pray for us today. In the next few weeks, we are going to be starting um, to re-ramp up for a thing we call Surf Sunday. This is something that we've been doing as a church for a while now, but COVID kind of shut it down and and made us adjust and pivot like everything else. And this Sunday we do, we, we don't do normal service, and we go out into our community as a congregation, and we go and serve 
partners, organizations that we love. Um, we go and mow lawns and fix fences and paint siding and for people that are in need and just need someone to come and do that. And it's very easy on that Sunday to, well, we'll just plan our vacation that week. It's real easy to be like, oh, it's a Sunday off. I read this and I was challenged to challenge us as a church. People need to see the love of Christ in tangible, real ways. They need to see people of Christ building bridges into their lives to show up for them, to love them for no other reason other than love them. So I challenge you to get involved. Yes, on Serve Sunday, but every day, doing something that pushes yourself outward and lets people get to know that God treasures them so deeply. Pray with me. Lord, I just, I thank you so much for the challenge of scripture, Lord, that the intention of scripture is to make us look more like you to find you in it, to transform our hearts and our souls and our behaviors so we can go out and transform our circles, our homes, our communities. Lord, it's not always easy what we're called to do, Lord, but it is worth it to keep our eyes and hearts tuned to the eternal, fighting for hearing from the gospel and showing up in people's lives in generous, extravagant ways. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your generosity to us. It is in your name we pray.